A Doctor Who actor writes a Doctor Who comic book story. Is it any good? We'll let you know as we take a look at Doctor Who, The Age of Chaos. Also coming up in this uh, podcast, we'll take a look at Doctor Who Classics, Volume 8, Captain Marvel Masterworks, Volume 5, and Batman Detective Comics, Volume 8, on the outside, straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Well, our classy showcase of the week is Doctor Who, The Age of Chaos. The Age of Chaos was a special 90-page comic produced by Marvel UK in 1994. Colin Baker had played the Sixth Doctor, which at that point was the second-to-last Doctor, as the series had been cancelled five years before. Baker had actually written some Doctor Who stories for Doctor Who magazine. And so Gary Russell uh, suggested that he write a full-length comic story featuring his Doctor. And his mind cast back to an infamous incident in Doctor Who history, which was the departure of Perry, his uh, first companion from the TARDIS. In the storyline from season 23, uh, Perry was uh, killed in the story uh, Trial of a Time Lord, with an alien creature taking over her mind and then her being killed. However, at the end of that story, we got a retcon where she actually lived and was married to King Yurkanos, a very boisterous warrior king played by Brian Blessed. Baker's initial instinct was to go to Krontep and to check in on Perry and Yurkanos, see how they were doing, but he decided that was probably not going to be the best story and a bit of an intrusion, So instead, he decided to go a couple generations down the line. And so we get this tale where he is going to visit Krontep a couple generations after Perry's uh, marriage to King Yurkanos. Now, of course, to be technical, much of what's in this story is contradicted by uh, some more recent Big Finish stories uh, in which Baker has appeared along with Nicola Bryant, who played Perry. However, we'll just look at the story on its own merits. And we learn at the start of the story that the Doctor goes and visits Krontep every 10 years to check on Perry and her family and just see how things are going. Well, the Doctor finds out that a lot has changed since his last visit. For one thing, Perry's grandsons have been banished after they started a fight over who would reign as the next king. And Perry's daughter was killed in the process. And Perry has pledged that 
She will never return until the two have been reconciled. However, they were both banished after their war, killed their mother, and tied together and left with a single sword in a valley that actually encouraged homicidal instincts. And it's assumed at the start of the story that they're both dead. However, their sister, Princess Actus, who is set to become the next uh, ruler, given that they uh, both uh, have been banished, uh, she wants to find her brothers and bring them back. And she turns to the doctor for help, and the doctor agrees, and they go and get Frobisher. And if you recall, we've talked about Frobisher briefly in the Doctor Who Classics Volume 7 review. He was uh, the Doctor's companion. He appeared in one story with the Seventh Doctor, but he really was known as a Sixth Doctor uh, companion. And he is an anthropomorphic penguin, but is actually a shapeshifter who is either stuck in the penguin form or is chosen to be in the penguin form, depending on which story you read. However, in the course of the adventure... Actus ends up disappearing, which really does throw the kingdom into a big uh, problem. The Doctor and Frobisher have to find Actus, and they're joined in this quest by Karp, who is just uh, a great character. He's a loyal a soldier, you know, great uh, a companion for the journey. Uh, who's always ready for action. It makes just a nice presence and just a great character to have in a Doctor Who story. And this one is just a rip-roaring adventure. You've got dragons, monsters, mind control, a strange cult, and political intrigue. There's so much in this uh, 90-page story. It's really exciting and a lot of fun. Uh, and I also really love the art. Uh, it's really great. They make some wonderful decisions in terms of the shading, uh, and it just really makes it come alive and pop. I have no idea why they have not reprinted this. They've reprinted all of the Doctor Who stories uh, with the classic Doctors uh, from this era. The only thing I can think of, there might be some issue since it appeared in Marvel UK uh, special as opposed to Doctor Who magazine. But this is really a great story. It's tough to find. I was really fortunate. I think I got my copy for about $15 um, off of eBay. Uh, the ones I see uh, going on there going for $60. Some sign uh, go for well over a thousand but this is just a great story and i thoroughly enjoyed it and if you can find a copy i recommend it and i definitely will give that a rating of classy related to this let's go ahead and talk about doctor who classics volume eight and uh this uh a collection of uh strips, uh, and we mentioned this when we talked about Doctor Who Classics Volume 7 way back when, but Doctor Who Classics was a series by IDW that reprinted strips from Doctor Who magazine and colored them, uh, because the uh, strips featuring the classic Doctors in Doctor Who magazine, they were all in black and white uh, until the towards the end of the Paul McGann era. Uh, in uh, Doctor Who magazine. The stories in this book come from uh, Doctor Who magazine number 108 to 126. 
during Colin Baker's era as the Doctor. And it features him having adventures with Frobisher and also Perry. And this is somewhat of a unique thing that's done in this magazine where you have a companion uh, from the TV show and a companion original to the comic traveling together. Now, probably the the most difficult thing about this volume is that it really, the first half really does capture a lot of the feel of the season two, 22 dynamic, which was of a very prickly uh, doctor. And they had the idea, uh, uh, John uh, Nathan Turner, who produced Doctor Who, to make the doctor a little bit unlockable to start out with. And uh, they went really overboard with Colin Baker on that. And so uh, that, uh, you know, starting with Twin Dilemma at the end of season 21, and then in season 22, there was just a lot of tension and quite some very h- harsh things said by this doctor. And that is reflected in the uh, comic. Uh, in one story, he just absolutely blows up at some refugees who accidentally ended up in the TARDIS. Though I think this does get better because once you get into the second half of the book, it reflects the season 23 uh, version of the Sixth Doctor, which was actually uh, nicer, and I think they capture uh, that. It's a pretty dramatic shift in characterization from one season to another, but that is just a rough spot based on what was on TV. Looking at the strips, some high, strips, uh, some of the highlights, uh, There was, it actually begins with three strips which are sing- seemingly one-shot stories but are actually all linked together. Uh, it works okay. I don't know why they tried to make them seem like separate stories. Uh, it does seem like they could have just been straightforward that it was one story to start with, but it does work and there's a nice reveal. Uh, then there's a story in there that I don't particularly care for where the doctor's role is limited and uh, unintentional because there's an alien uh, attack which uh, threatens to stop the Earth from ever have existing. And this one is essentially just the Doctor and Frobisher because Perry has been left at a baseball game. And they absolutely annoy me by uh, just some of the uh, missed baseball references they use in this. Uh, Frobisher, uh, for example, keeps referring to it as a match and uh, says he wants to see the game between the Dodgers and the Redskins. And of course, the Redskins were never a baseball team. And it's kind of like, you know, if this were being written with an American audience in mind that would get that, I could see it as like humor, but it seems like they just didn't research and didn't care, which is annoying. And as I said, the Doctor's role is really unintentional And that doesn't really make for a good story. Uh, then, uh, you do have a story. It's, it's kind of cute where, uh, Perry is pushing the doctor to eat more salad. And, uh, she's also reading Alice in Wonderland. So the doctor puts this, uh, device by her that creates like this alternate world in a parallel dimension. (laughs) Uh, where she imagines herself as Alice being chased by vegetables. And 
uh, you know, it's really wacky, uh, and it does dissuade her from pursuing the whole vegetable health kick. That would not work on his next companion, Mel, but I thought that was kind of cute and funny. Uh, Prophets of Doom is kind of a standard Doctor Who story, but done uh, really well as these profiteering aliens attack this colony ship where people are about to wake up. And it's got some nice twist. It moves really nice for a three-part story. And then it wraps up with the gift, with this just absolutely superb story. It's the best story in the book where the doctor goes to uh, attend this uh, birthday party and uh, he runs into the brother of the ruler who's a scientist and just uh, and the world has got like this 1920s jazz theme, which predominates. And it's just such a great, you know, over the top fun story. So the, uh, the Doctor Who Classics Volume 8, that one falls on into uh, my uh, somewhat classy list. I-, I think it does have a few problems in the first half, but I think the second half really makes up for it quite nicely. All right, now we turn to the world of Marvel and Captain Marvel Masterworks Volume 5. And of course, uh, we are referring uh, to the original Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel of the Kree. And this particular book uh, collects issues 47 through 57 of uh, Captain Marvel from the 1970s. And I was curious about this volume because a lot of people talk about the stuff that uh, involves Thanos and the cosmic stuff that was in volume four, or I think I reviewed it as essential Captain Marvel volume two. Uh, and then of course, there's a lot of talk about the end when you get to the death of Captain Marvel, uh, in, uh, uh, Marvel Masterworks Volume 6. This is kind of in between, and I was wondering what this would be like. Essentially, what you get from uh, Captain Marvel Masterworks Volume 5 is pretty good uh, villain of the month stuff. Some of them are villains that he fights in space. Others are more typical Earth-based villains, and it's all handled pretty well. Most of it, I wouldn't say, is remarkable, but if you want to read a Bronze Age comic with some good action, then this is definitely worth looking at. Uh, there are some highlights in here. Uh, I did, you get to see the introduction of Dr. Minerva, who, as we talked about a few weeks ago, played a key role in Operation Galactic Storm. But here she is trying to prevent the War of Three Galaxies, which the Kree is, are being, uh, pushed towards. And her first plan involves some coercion to Captain Marvel when that, uh, fails, she actually gets Captain Marvel on her side, and uh, Mar- Captain Marvel goes to uh, the Inhumans and asks for their help to reach the Kree homeworld, which they're able to do due to Lockjaw's uh, teleportation abilities. He and Black Bolt go to confront them, and it's a really interesting issue. There are some surprises. It's pretty fast-paced, and I uh, actually enjoyed it. I thought some very nice twists. Uh, there's also an interesting story he has to confront Ronan, the accuser, who has gone so far off the reservation that uh, the uh, Kree are not uh, satisfied with him. 
Uh, and then there's the story Beneath the Mask of Man, where he decides, okay, it's time that I really, you know, I'm not going back to Krelar. Uh, I need to go and to, you know, get a job and get set up on Earth. And he starts out like he, you know, steals a overcoat. And he really thinks about this. But then he realizes, I think, that doing the whole secret identity thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to him. Because he doesn't have any you know, background on the planet, really. He doesn't have any loved ones to protect. So why would he go ahead with a secret identity was his thinking. And he goes up to this observatory and he applies for a job and is given it, you know, based on his, you know, credentials and his experience in space. Uh, but then they show, you know, maybe that wasn't necessarily the best uh, decision about the secret identity, uh, because uh, then a supervillain comes to attack the observatory, and there's a whole lot of risk and mayhem that comes with that. The book closes with some really good cosmic stuff, because you get the Avengers Annual Number 7, where once again he's going toe-to-toe along with the Avengers and Adam Warlock against Thanos. It's not quite as good as the Jim Starlin stuff that had been in previous volumes, but it is a pretty enjoyable space epic. Uh, you get Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number 2, which we actually referenced back in our essential Marvel 2-in-1 review. And as I said back then, this one is much more a Spider-Man and to an extent the Thing story than it is a Captain Marvel story. But it's included because it ties in. And then you get to issue 57, which is kind of in the aftermath of that. And he is actually uh, trying to get Thor to kill him. Uh, because he believes he's a threat to the Earth. And there's some interesting twists in there. Uh, and overall, I really enjoyed this book. I thought that uh, if you like a good uh, comic book sci-fi adventure, this is really solid uh, storytelling. Uh, a bit underrated. Uh, like I said, not it's not like, oh, absolute memorable reading. But if you like some good cosmic science fiction adventures or just good superhero stories from the 70s this is just a solid volume and definitely earns the somewhat classy rating and we wrap up now with a modern comic and we have batman detective comics volume 8 on the outside and essentially the plot of this one is that a villain named karma is coming uh after friends of Batman, because he believes that they make them weak. He attacks uh, Duke, who has taken on the identity of uh, the Signal, and Batman is trying to keep them safe. Uh, Batman has also decided that he wants to start a new team. You know, it's not the Gotham Knights, but he wants to start... Uh, you know, a, a new group, and he needs somebody to help lead it, and so he b brings in Jefferson Pierce from Metropolis, uh, a.k.a. Black Lightning. But at the same time, he's trying to keep them safe because of Karma's threats if they step into action. However, there is pushback because, of course, the Bat family wants to help. Um, and 
I do have a problem with this group that because they gather together like all of the uh, Bat family, you know, Duke, you know, aka Signal, Cassandra Kane, uh, Orphan, and they also brought Barbara Gordon, aka Batgirl, there, and she disobeyed uh, Jefferson Pierce's orders in order to take action she deemed appropriate, and so Bruce chews her out, and I have a problem with that because. She is her own hero, her own person. I think Cassandra and Duke have really strong dependence on Batman, but Barbara owns her own company. She has had her own solo title for years. I have no idea why she was included in this group, but she does leave. And uh, I think that trying to put her under... uh, The command of somebody who just came to Gotham, really not appropriate. But this leads into Batman's ultimate uh, confrontation with Karma and a revelation about what the people, the Bat family, ultimately means to him. And it's, in many ways, it's a symbol store. I'm not going to claim it's great or anything, but it's got a good message and it has a good, solid emotional core. Uh, Brian Hitch wrote this particular storyline, and it sets up his new Batman and the Outsider series. And reading it and the the, play, the players involved, they eventually brought in uh, the character of Katana, who was in the original Batman and the Outsiders. I am actually going to probably check out Batman and the Outsiders based on this storyline. And that does say something, given how many DC Comics titles I've been dropping recently. Then we get Annual Number 2, which has Batman facing uh, Deacon Blackfire, who may be a ghost or may be a confused metahuman, according to Batman. And there's this boy that's been taken hostage, and he has to fight his way there, and as he's going through there, he's got to deal with these own inner demons and self-doubt. And I have to say that I actually uh, enjoyed this. Now, I've complained about some of the navel-gazing stuff in Tom King's work on Batman, but what makes this difference is you have Batman you know, working to come and to rescue someone. And so he's having to face these things and overcome these things to help someone out. He's actively trying to help someone. And I think uh, uh, that makes a difference with uh, Tom King, where everything else is just kind of secondary to what's going on in Batman's head. Uh, Everybody else is just props for that. It's an effective story. It's got good art, I think, for the most part. Uh, because the artist is really good at drawing all of these surrealistic, uh, dark images, underground cities, uh, and all of the sort of emotional stuff that happens throughout the art. Towards the end of the story, it ends with Batman uh, staring out over the city and saying that it's quite a sight, but it actually looks pretty plain. So 
For drawing it like an impressive cityscape, this artist is not quite as good as he is with uh, some of the underground work and emotional stuff. But still, I found it a pretty effective and enjoyable annual story. So this is another one I'm going to give a rating of somewhat classy to. And it, it is actually a little bit weird to think about the contrast between Batman and Detective Comics and Batman in Batman, because Batman in Batman is a loner whose life falls apart because his engagement to a very um, emotionally unstable woman falls apart, whereas Batman in Detective Comics is someone who has a strong uh, support system that he leans on of friends and family. But Detective Comics, uh, particularly in this volume, ends up on the right side of that uh, divide. So another comic that we were rating somewhat classy. Well, I didn't actually have anything that I didn't like, uh, that I didn't at least find somewhat classy. Uh, this was a good batch of comics. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And next uh, week we will be back. Uh, we'll be uh, reviewing, as our classy showcase, we'll be taking a look at The Daring Adventures of Supergirl, Volume 2. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, in the meantime, send your comments to ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.